0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash newsadfree. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Duntree. Now, when we look at politics across the water and the shenanigans at Westminster from Boris Johnson to Liz Truss, to extraordinary incompetence, corruption, and all of that. We could be tempted, given the week we've just had in Ireland, at being a bit self-congratulatory for the budget that was delivered, and we might think all is fine in this country. £11 given, distributed, to the people. However, we are at a critical moment, in this country and the politics of the next two years and particularly of the next three or four months are going to be really interesting. And we're joined now by Fanon Sheehan, Ireland editor of independent newspapers, to discuss what we might have to deal with. Fanon, in in the first instance, I don't know if you're a much more rigorous man than me, but when I see the foolishness and corruption in Westminster... I somehow think our boys and girls are great. It's not as simple as that, is it?
2: (laughs) Uh, It is to a degree. I mean, we've seen the the political (laughs) the political system in the UK being dragged through the the mud. That the the great cradle of democracy that it was regarded as uh, for for so many. Centuries it had its faults. We can testify to that, uh, but it was seen to be a, a pretty well functioning system, and we've seen the chaos that has descended uh, over the course of the last decade, particularly since the the Brexit vote. Yes, and the 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 largely speaking the the self immolation going on within the the, the Tory party. Um, and you'd have to say that's now actually spread to their economic policy. Now you'd argue yes. Brexit. Brexit was economic folly, yes. we know, but but they they believe they had some economic thesis behind it. What's happening at the moment uh, just defies any logic uh, whatsoever. They're, they seem to believe they they can go it alone, not just politically. But uh, economically and monetarily, and they have the Bank of England and the IMF saying, "No, you, you can't actually do this." <laughs> um, it's lacking in any sort of equality proofing, anyway, because the budget that they have, uh, the, the the sums that they have injected into budget, largely speaking, benefits uh, those at, at the, the the upper end yes. uh, of, of the scale, and then just the amount that, that that they have, the amount that they have put in. Uh, just means that you know the, the, the British economy and the size of it just cannot handle it. So we are quite fortunate if we look at our budget, and we're injecting a whopping eleven billion, and yes. we're keeping some in reserve, and it's all our own cash. We're not having to borrow. Uh, we're projecting that we will be comfortably able to record uh, a substantial surplus both this year and next year largely off the back of of really uh, healthy uh, corporation tax figures, but also the fact that the the economy as a whole with uh, almost uh, full employment, you get healthy VAT returns, healthy income tax returns uh, as a result.
0: Now, Fanon, over the next couple of months and running up to December, the government will change in that Leo Varadkar will become Taoiseach and Micheál Martin, or whoever is leading Fianna Fáil, will become Tóniste. Michael McGrath will become Minister of Finance, we assume, and Pascal Donoghue will become Minister for Public Expenditure. But a very prestigious role he holds as Chair of the European Finance Ministers, which is said to be a benefit to Ireland, that may go, and indeed... It's not going to be all plain sailing for, for Mihail Martin either because there seems to be a lot of unrest in, in the Finn party. How difficult and dangerous will this transition be? And who's at most at danger? Is it Mihail Martin?
2: Yeah, uh, one half of the equation is, is pretty solid. Leo Varadkar will become Taoiseach and, and Michael McGrath will become Minister for Finance. The The other two roles, you'd have to say, you know, there, there's still a bit of a question mark uh, about uh, at, at this juncture. I know we're only 10 weeks away, but, you know, where the assumption is that Michal Martin will continue uh, as, as Fianna Fáil leader, but, yes. you know, within his own party, there is an expectation that he's not going to be the leader uh, going into the next uh, general election that he will pass over to the, to the next generation and people will be looking for some sort of signal from him that that he he believes that that is the case his official line is he is leading the party into the next general election he can't say otherwise but it's kind of thought that a, a handover sometime before the local and european elections in 2024 would would be appropriate with a, a general election to follow the following year so at the moment yeah we think meall we will become tarnished uh, uh, in in for for a period uh, of time on the pascal Donoghue front uh, he he goes from, effectively, the height of his, his career now, yes. where he is not only Minister of Finance, who has delivered such a, a whopping uh, budget uh, and has finished off his sixth budget as Finance Minister and his seventh, if you include his period, as, as Minister of Public Expenditure, his apprenticeship under, under Michael Noonan, and being president of the Eurogroup, which is the, the countries that... Uh, use the the euro currency, uh, very valuable, very influential role, uh, and effectively he'll, he'll lose that because you can't be chair of an organization if you don't sit at the table in the first place as a member. So the finance minister is the one who represents Ireland on the euro group, that will become Michael McGrath. Uh, Michael McGrath has, has himself made that clear now uh, at this point and though there has been a botched attempt on Finnegale's part and you can point the finger firmly at Leo Radker uh, in this regard to try and manipulate uh, the situation in some fashion whereby Pascal Dunne who could could remain on uh, as Eurogroup president so uh, Fine Gael, Basically, you know, the, the, the realization was there all along. Pascal who became Eurogroup president after the deal was done with Fianna Fáil around the rotating Taoiseach and therefore the rotating finance minister. Subsequent to that, he became Eurogroup president. And in that period of time, the argument is that it has actually benefited us quite substantially. Yes, uh, we A year ago, we negotiated, we did actually negotiate this, a deal on corporation tax, yes. whereby we would sign up to a, a minimum uh, global rate, and within that there were a couple of concessions. to Ireland one was that it 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 would be uh, that the minimum would be fifteen; it wouldn't be upwards uh, of of that. And the, the lang- there was language put in there to to assist Ireland to get across the line. And also within that there, there was an agreement that for kind of your your small Irish enterprises. Uh, under a, a certain threshold, that the our existing corporation tax rate of twelve and a half percent could still apply. So you're not, you know, not your big tech and pharma multinationals uh, who are trying to, yeah. to write down billions in their tax bills, but but smaller companies uh, would still apply. So that the argument was Pascal Donahue was contributing all this. Uh, to Ireland, not just in terms of prestige, but also influence, sitting at the top table, yes. and being on speed dial, with every finance minister in Europe, good position to be in. So is there a way where he could keep that? So, the options were he stays on as finance minister, Fianna Fáil have, have ruled that out uh, quite firmly. Now, they have said that, no, it's rotating, the Taoiseach is going to Fianna the finance minister is coming to them. There was then a suggestion that, well, Pascal Donoghue could stay on as the Eurogroup uh, representative, even if he wasn't the Minister for Finance, that has also now been ruled out. Uh, yeah, only one by, guy who did McGrath. that,
0: it was Juncker.
2: You, Juncker, yeah, Fine <laughs> were were are trying to suggest <laughs> yeah. that that was the kind of the the second slash third the option was that Pascal, Michael McGrath could be Ireland's representative, but Pascal could be a, a, a second representative at the table and could therefore uh, you'd be, be continue as chair. Now, you'd need the agreement of all the other uh, 21 ministers sitting around the table to do that. And they were drawing the comparison with with Juncker. Now, in Juncker's case, he was a piece of the the European furniture, basically, for the best part of a quarter (laughs) of a century, between his time as Minister for Finance of Luxembourg and then as Prime Minister. And for the first period as Prime Minister, he was also Minister for Finance. And that's how he, he became Eurogroup President People wanted him to stay on in that role. At one point there was talk of that role going to the Germans. The smaller countries didn't want that. They felt that the Germans would take too hard a line, so Juncker was again asked to stay on. So concessions and, and compromises and bending of the rules happened in a unique situation around Jean-Claude Juncker which are not comparable with with the current scenario. The reason we can point to Leo Varadkar and all this is that he was the one who raised this matter publicly. This was going on in the background for the, the past several months, really, that, you know, it would be a pity to give up this role and, and everybody else in Europe would love it and it's great for Ireland and so on and so forth. Leo Recker was the first one to ar- articulate this publicly yes. and also openly admit that he hadn't discussed it with yet with Michal Martin and Eamon Ryan. He basically effectively turned it into a kind of a partisan political issue that this was what Fine Gael wanted Obviously, Michal Martin, in the position that he is, couldn't have conceded ground in a situation like that. So the answer was just going to be no. And if, if if, perhaps the different scenarios had been played out privately and diplomatically, rather than over the public airwaves, we might have come to some sort of negotiated resolution. But once yes. it became a, a, a public issue, it, it simply wasn't going to happen. And that leads me on to the second part of your question, are we heading into troubled times? Well, if you look at the manner in which Leo Varadkar handled that, the lack of respect that he had for his coalition partners uh, in in discussions on that issue where he was quite, he repeatedly talked about this issue on the airwaves and yet admitted he hadn't discussed it uh, in private with the two party leaders, it doesn't exactly augur well uh, for his handling of the, the coalition for the remainder of its lifetime.
0: Yes, and I mean it's Tricky anyway. And if you have somebody who tends to, you know, not have a filter, I suppose, just a polite way of putting it, it makes it even more difficult.
1: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us. Call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number.
2: That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
0: Maybe I'm going soft in the head, Fanon. I want you to give me a dig out here. I think Micheál Martin has been a very good T-shirt, given what he had to deal with in COVID and so on. And I also think Pascal Donahue has been a really good Minister for Finance. And I also think the position we're in with housing and health is disgusting disgraceful and unbecoming any nation is there any of that you'd agree
2: with i, I wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with with most in, of it actually in other words, I, I mean confused.
0: i think i've been around a long time <laughs> Lo- yeah but, see, but you're a, a bit of an expert uh, at, there's well, a you are an there's expert. a
2: there's a contradiction in terms, I suppose, in that even if you look at, at the past week, again, what does it point to? We've a, we've a superb economy. It's performing exceptionally well. Uh, we, we've we never had it better, I suppose, would be would be the phrase that would spring to mind. Never had it so good. But uh, on the flip side, that's the economy. The society is a very different thing. We yes. still have got a, a severe uh, housing crisis, disaster if you take Michael D Higgins words we still have got a health service that is not in any way fit for purpose uh, despite the Trojan efforts that were made during COVID-19 yes. that impetus that was injected at that time hasn't really been followed through so we we're kind of wandering around aimlessly with, with, with those two issues having no lack of resources whatsoever now to throw at the problems but no I mean, real idea bus. what to do
0: in, in rural Ireland kids can't get a bus to school there's no room for that
2: him. that's a I mean that's uh, just it's degrading a lack of organization a lack of organization there and also the problem of having so much money that you're announcing uh, you're you're announcing policies that you that you have the resources to pay for, but you don't know if you can actually implement them. So what we were seeing this week was, I, I looked at this week's budget, and I thought there's effectively two budgets here. One budget is is handing out money to people. Uh, it's it's giving out a uh, good substantial tax package, uh, a social welfare package that was... That was catering uh, for, for a, a lot of uh, areas, particularly those most uh, in need, with double payments, uh, bonus payments, substantial base uh, base rate hikes. Uh, and You also had electricity credits being paid for. So that was all cash that was going directly uh, out to members of the public via the revenue commissioners and the, the social welfare system that will lodge in people's accounts and help them through some way through, through the winter months, as we expect uh, dramatic uh, hikes in our, in our energy bills and the cost of living as a whole. And then there was the second part of the budget, which is, is basically this, the spending on services. And what we had over the course of the week was a series of ministers coming out, making excuses for the fact that they haven't been able to deliver on promises that they have made up until now, but now telling us, oh, but I have the money for next year and I'll be able to do it. So you're kind of looking at half of the budget saying, we actually have the money to do things that you're promising, we just don't know if you're able to deliver upon them. Whether that's them as the political leadership uh, or the the public service uh, and its leadership, one way or another, it, it doesn't appear credible that you can turn around and say, all of the elements of the budget that were announced uh, on Tuesday would actually be delivered upon when we come back here in 12 months' time because that hasn't been the experience. And they didn't have COVID-19 to blame uh, this year. Uh, and yet there was there were still shortcomings. Uh, these are not just election promises. These are actual policies that are being enunciated, agreed, signed off on by the government and announced on budget day and yet not happening. So yeah, the, the school buses being... The classic example: If you're going to announce that everybody, that that larger numbers of people are going to be able to get uh, a a school bus, you you should be able to make sure that um, that these people that there is actually sufficient bus services for them. So. You know, we, we'll see how that pans out over the course of, of the next 12 months. I, I don't think changes of ministers are going to do anything in that regard. It seems to no. be, there's a number of reasons for it, an, an incapacity. Also, you've got a resource shortage. If If any political party is turning around at the moment and suggesting to you that they can substantially increase the number of houses being built over the next 12 months, Yes. They are living in a completely different world because you can just turn around to them and say, where are you getting the builders? Where yes. are you getting the plumbers? Where are you getting the electricians? Because yes. they ain't there. We're, you know, we're, we're maxed out in terms of our our workforce uh, at the moment. So unless we're doing what we did back in the Celtic Tiger days and we're going to somewhere like Turkey and bringing over uh, the gamma workers at, at that time, famously yes. who came over and, and worked on, on motorways and, and social housing, uh, helps to regenerate parts of uh, part of Ballymun. Uh, unless we're going to go down that route, uh, then it, it's difficult to see how targets that that people are setting are are going to be met. And you do have some sympathy. On on the one hand, there are dramatic demands being made for for public services, but on the flip side, there isn't the staff to meet them. But on the other hand, th- that's what you're in government for. Uh, you're in government to to make political decisions, to tell people that this is the direction in which you're going, and then to, to deliver upon those. Yeah, I
0: mean, take for example, the apprenticeships. Has the present government in the two and a bit years it's been in power, have they increased apprenticeships? Have they focused in on the need to stop kids going to third level, getting pieces of paper that are pretty useless? And have they had the sort of grit and determination and conviction to increase the number of electricians, plumbers and all the other people, bricklayers that you need to embark on a housing programme?
2: Well, they're they're, they're saying that they have. Um, There there have been publicity campaigns around taking up uh, apprenticeships. They're saying that additional uh, education and training places have been put in place uh, and that you know, we we'll see this pipeline coming to fruition uh, over the coming years, and when, when trainees are coming out uh, at the far end, that at the same time there is the the annual obsession with the the CEO system and and where where points uh, yeah. are at. So, look, there's there's no shortage of people able to identify problems here. There's not even a shortage of people who can propose solutions uh, of of whatever type or or ideology. The, the difficulty that we have now is actually delivering upon them. So, if yes. you want an extra, if you want an extra five thousand builders, two and a half thousand plumbers, and two and a half thousand uh, electricians by the end uh, of next year, you can promise it now, and the, f- the funding is available to do it. But your ability to actually get that through the the, the system uh, is another matter uh, I- I- entirely. And you know they all. The, the, the COVID and the disruption and the Brexit excuses are, are kind of wearing tin. So you'd, yes. you'd have to say they'll obviously be hoping that they'll get some sort of public boost or public support uh, off the back uh, of an, an 11 billion budget, which is is spread across, across the board, across society. But ultimately, you, you can kind of see, even in the budget debate, the focus of the next general election is still going to be about delivery uh, on those those key issues, uh, it's it, we've almost got to a point where, unfortunately, we are almost taking economic success for granted. Yes, uh, Leo Riker has a good phrase, but he doesn't use it enough. It doesn't happen by accident. Yep, it doesn't happen by accident that we're we have we have got full employment. That uh, one in four uh, euros that we spend in the next year will come from from corporate uh, one in eight uh, from corporation tax. Uh, th- those things d- don't happen by, by accident. Uh, they come about because you put solid policies in place, be it over over decades or, or over a, the, the lifetime of a government. So you can, as we're seeing in the UK, you can throw a hell of a lot of, of reputation away pretty fast and you can turn around your economic fortunes very, very fast if you, if you go about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, a, with a determination like Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng seem seem to be doing, so political leadership does actually matter. But it, you're, to give an example, the the at the tail end of the, the budget, the, the pre-budget talk uh, was all about social welfare, electricity credits, how much is social welfare gone up by, and the sticking point seems to be over how much social welfare base rates are going up. for. so your your pensions uh, allowances dole uh, and so on those base rates they eventually went up by 12 euro Um, groups working in that sector were saying no they have to go up by 20 but the government was able to say look we're giving a whole lot of other payments on top of that so it it doesn't really matter which which side you get the money on all it matters is we're delivering the money out there in the wake of the budget the debate has shifted back onto housing it's been about the the concrete block levy it's been about uh, a tax allowance uh, for renters it has again focused on the, the delivery uh, on, on housing. So, you know, even in an €11 billion Euro budget, it, it, it doesn't distract people for long. They'll still come back to what are the, the basic underlying problems yes, that course. we have in the country.
0: Let me ask you about Sinn Féin. Sitting there, the largest party in Dáil Éireann, every opinion poll shows them maintaining that lead, if not increasing it by a point or two. Is it all now about them? And just watching them respond. Pierce Doherty, when he stood up once Michael McGrath had stepped down, he didn't actually seem to have a passionate response to it. He got more passionate as the day went on. But I didn't get the feeling that he had answers. Or that he I'm sorry, uh, I, don't, I shouldn't uh, compromise you because you're an yeah, no. expert and I don't want to be compromising you. I mean, they're there, they've they have earned the trust, apparently, of the young generation in particular. Is it now a question of whether they can form a government? Is it as simple as that?
2: Well, it, it is insofar as we saw in the last election, they, they got the largest amount of support. Uh, after four days, they gave up on the notion of forming a government. They weren't able to. They'll come back based on present polls uh, they will and and the trajectory that we we saw in the last general election they would again come back after the next election as substantially the largest party and yes. therefore you will look to them to to form a, a government but just you know we've had it in the past just because you're the largest party. Uh, as Fianna Fail have discovered every time Fine Gael went into government uh, for for the, the previous um, 75 years up until uh, 2011, um, Fine Gael was usually not the, the biggest party in the lifetime of Fianna Fail. Fianna Fail was the largest party, uh, but yet Fine Gael were able to form a coalition and and come into to power. So the, the same challenge is going to rest for Sinn Féin next time. Who exactly is going to go into government with them? And the assumption is we're going to come back after the next general election. Fine Gael are going to say, well, no, we're not going to miss Sinn Féin full stop. We're the, uh, entirely opposed to them. And then all eyes will, will turn to, to Fianna Fáil uh, to see, w- will they go down uh, that route? Or is it possible that Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, uh, again, the Greens and maybe the Labour Party can can cobble together a, yes. a coalition b- between them. So it's by no means a slam dunk that that Chin Fein are in government after the next election. Right. At the moment, and the way things are going, yet yeah, they will be the 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 biggest party. It's it's hard to see that trajectory change. But I mean, Pearson party's problem the other day was uh, the eleven billion. He, <laughs> the eleven billion. I mean, it's it's so hard to come come back against. I mean, what do what are you gonna what are you going to complain about you can say you're going to do things differently but I mean he had flagged for fear fan had flagged for the previous two weeks that they wanted a price cap in place uh, on energy bills that this has been done in other European countries and the government had their answer ready that's a blank check you'll be sent to the energy firms you can charge whatever you want uh, and we'll pay the bill we don't know where electricity prices are going to go uh, over the course of the of the next 12 months and how do you know you're going to be able to pay for that Whereas the electricity credit is a tried and trusted formula, and in addition to that, we're giving people top ups uh, for those who need it most uh, through, the, through the social welfare system. So the government had a had a good tried and trusted answer uh, on that front.
0: Just a final question, final and we're very grateful for your updates because you, more than most, you know exactly the nuances of this. Is it possible that having spent government Term of whatever, five years or the best part of five years together, Finegale and Finefall will sort of fall in love and they will decide that as the two parties of government, they can take on Sinn Fein and they'll go again along the lines they've gone this time, alternating maybe. And that might be a solution.
2: Yeah, I mean, a logic will dictate would dictate to you that, that that makes a lot of sense. Effectively, when you throw in the, the confidence and supply agreement that was in place for the, the previous four years, uh, you would say that, um, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will effectively have been in government for the best part of a decade yep. together one way, or, one way or another. So therefore, the voter is looking at that and saying, well, I'm voting for you, or I'm voting for you, but you you both come uh, as a package. Yes. I don't see it happening, and it'd probably be Fianna Fáil would probably have more to lose from that than than Fine Gael. They would be worried that their, their, their greener vote, their more Republican vote yes. uh, would would have a problem with that. There is an argument, actually, that in, in certain quarters that, that Fine Gael... Uh, are becoming a more Republican entity than, than Fianna Fáil. Uh, Fianna Gael's traditional title, of course, is Fianna Gael, United Ireland Party, and you're seeing that yes. the likes of Leo Radker and Neil Richmond are being very closely aligned with, with calls for preparations for uh, a United Ireland and and referendum and, and so on. So, you know, they Fine Gael are very much adjusted in that regard, where Fianna Fáil have gone into a situation where Mian Martin is taking a more pragmatic uh, than ideological view uh, on this issue and saying that you know you have to wait your time, preparations have to be put in place, you have to build up cooperation and so on and get everybody sitting down and talking. So it, it a lot of factors will depend upon who the next Fianna Fáil leader is. There's certainly very much an appetite in Fianna Fáil to get back to being seen as a, a greener, more Republican party than right. they have been under under Mihal Martin. Mihal Martin is by nobody's questioning his his Republicanism, but uh, his his political outlook uh, on this uh, has been um, more more kind of con- more consensus driven, which make it makes a lot of sense. But this is politics. People sometimes like black and white yes. uh, other than somebody talking about the, the, the nuance and that's what Mihal Martin has been doing here he's been the, the common sense voice uh, in all of this uh, rather than the sloganeering one
0: Okay Fanon we're very grateful to you for joining us on the stand Fanon Sheehan is Ireland editor of independent newspapers and one of the most savvy judges of what's happening in our politics thanks to Fanon thanks to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now we'll talk to you soon